Hi, and welcome to our podcast. I'm your host, Howard Drukarsh. Today, you may hear some sniffling because I have a bit of a seasonal allergy, but we're going to carry on. I've been a successful realtor in Canada's largest market for over 30 years. And in the latter part of my career, I co-founded Canada's largest independent brokerage, Right at Home Realty, with a roster of over 5,600 agents and continuing to grow. In 2020, I retired to start this podcast, and it's been a remarkable opportunity to meet highly successful people in real estate and related fields, find out, find out about their careers, and get their insight into our business. And today's guest is, much like myself, a disruptor in his field as we were in the real estate brokerage business. My, my guest today is Ted Malucci, president of Smart One Solutions. I've got Ted's bio here, and because uh, it's so impressive, I want to go through every item, and then I'll introduce Ted on camera. So as I mentioned, Ted is president of Smart One Solutions, and it's a company committed to advancing digital living experience in communities. He uh, began as president after a 26-year career as chief information officer in one of Toronto's leading multifamily real estate developers. And he's recognized for championing, championing the development and execution of the first smart community in the greater Toronto area. This is going to be a really good podcast for those that are trying to understand how technology is affecting uh, industries, including um, the multifamily and, and uh, business community situations. So we're going to get into that in a few minutes. He's an undergraduate of the U of T um, in mechanical engineering, and he has an MBA from the Schulich School. Uh, specializing in real property development. Uh, he's been recognized with several international and local awards for IT leadership, IT application development, smart buildings, and social contributions. Some notable leadership and innovation awards were the top 10 best class CIOs in North America by Computer World, two CIPA Gold Awards of Excellence for application development in the real estate industry, and the Mid-Career Award for, for, uh, from the University of Toronto for impact on an industry in, in an engineering career. For social contributions, Ted has also been recognized with the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal for promoting Canadian innovation, the Citizenship Award from the Professional Engineers Association uh, of Ontario, and the 2017 Meritorious Service Award Community Service from Engineers Canada. His efforts in, in smart and connected communities have garnered multiple Digi Awards uh, for the for uh, Digi Awards from Real Real. I can't even say it. There's so many awards here, Ted. Digi Awards from the Realcom Association for Innovations in Multifamily Real Estate. He's also received a Lifetime Achievement Award, which is awarded to an individual that has caused a major shift in an industry. In 2016, he was named Private Sector Canadian CIO of the Year for his work and on advancing smart and connected communities. Um, he's also um, involved in, in getting the, the message across by, by, um, by funding universities across the country to create a structured group focusing on technology to address senior care. And you can find that on HTTPS pathplatform.ca, pathplatform.ca. Okay, Ted, I'm exhausted. I'm going to turn it over to you. All right. So thank you for joining us. Um, and it is an impressive career. You know, before we got on camera, I asked if you're a disruptor because that, that's what we were in our industry when we started in 2004. Uh, and being a disruptor, you don't usually get a lot of applause from your friendly competitors. 
mm-hmm. um, but you do get a lot of applause from those that have benefited. Uh, in our case, it was real estate agents. So, so let me begin and certainly welcoming you. Um, I think I think what we try to do in our podcast is to give value to people listening, and and just by going through um, you know your website and what you've done. I've learned a lot about an in, a part of an industry I really didn't understand. So um, we're going to turn it over to you from here. And let me start with question number one I have for you is, what is smart building? And what is it about that that made you choose to dedicate, dedicate your career to it? I love speaking to this question because I think it's something that's really needed in this industry. Because we see a lot of people saying they're going to shift to smart, and they still think that shifting to smart means that you know, I have smart lighting in my suite and I can see a lobby call on my phone. And meanwhile, there's this much bigger picture to all of this. Um, my journey with this started actually, now that I look at it, I can't believe it, but it was 20 years ago. It was 20 years ago when I first saw the concept. And the concept was, let's put a network in the middle of a building. So a network, our buildings had networks anyway, um, but what is a network? Why does it matter? But the idea was, let's put a network in the middle of a building and let's transform what it's like to live there, transform what it's like to operate that community. Uh, when I saw the concept, I was lit up because at that point, lead was the big thing. And this was this, and I came back to the owners of my previous company and go, we need to do this. This is the next big thing. We got to make a smart building. And it literally took about 15 years to sort it out, which was, well, what's the right way to do this? What's the right technology? What's the right business case? And then I guess, let me go to the point. Why am I so passionate about it? And why do I want to promote it? And the reason being is this. And so when I said to you, what's a network? So a lot of times, how do I explain what a network is? And I always share the example of Angelo Delzato coming up to me and saying, Ted, what's this network? How do I understand what it is? What does it mean? And I said to him that if you look at the human body, we don't have different nerve systems, one nerve system for looking, another nerve system for sight, another for taste, another for motor control. We have this one wiring system in the human body. Well, if I take that concept and I apply it to a building, that network is that nerve system. So now I have a central nerve system. And instead of me having separate systems in a building, one for HVAC, one for security, and one for all these different things, one for internet access, I create one network. Now, why does that matter? Well, first of all, you're going to lower the cost of the building. The second is the building becomes much more scalable because I can attach different things to it. But then now I can make a building alive. So just like as a human being, if your hand goes near something hot, your brain tells you to move your hand away, you can can make that, that, that kind of thing happen. But in a building now, you imagine the light hit the one side of the building, it turned on the HVAC, lowered the blinds, and now I can make this building react. If you don't have a network, you can't control anything. So the fundamental piece of this always from the beginning was, let me put a network in the middle of the building. Let me put as many building systems on it as I can. Let me put intelligence into the building so I can change it and change it to make it better to live there, easier to operate. And that was the initial part, the initial charge as to to, to going about this. And then that led down this path of, well, how do we do this? Um, And then you're fighting an industry where people resist change. How do you make the change happen? And I guess, what does this smart building actually look like? So let me, I'll stop, pause there to see if you have any questions. There's a lot to Sort of say, but that is that was the original piece. I knew that this was a major shift to the industry, and I knew it had to happen. The only way you're ever going to do sustainability, the only way you're going to do advanced care of people, 
security, all of those things is actually to take an approach where there's an actual strategy that uses technology in a smart way in a building. Well, the truth is, I knew nothing about this until we interviewed Hans John, who is the uh, uh, principal at Atria Development Corporation. And in, in the, uh, in the uh, podcast we had with him, he was explaining how exciting having this uh, a part of the developments they do. And that kind of triggered to me, you know, maybe I should find out more. And then you were kind enough to agree to come here. So I think, I think people in our industry um, are not as aware as they, they will be. And I think this is a great podcast to get your message out. So I'm delighted. It gives you the opportunity and it gives value to people who are going to be uh, in, in our audience. H how do you see um, smart building and community technology shaping the future, which kind of follows up with what you're saying? There's a lot of things and we're seeing it evolve. When I started on all of this, so a little bit about my background because it plays into this is where this whole thing feels like. Actually, I don't want to sound cliche, but my life's purpose almost, because I started working as an as an engineer. I got hired by by Tridel in 1989. I got hired by Angelo because one of his friends saw me in high school. In high school, I wrote programs to teach mentally challenged kids. Mm. He said, hire this kid. He knows computers. I take the first job I can get. Little did I know I was actually on the path to something that was natural to me and something that was right. So they put me on a construction site. I was a super for five years, loved building buildings, loved technology. So I started writing system software, then eventually, you know, became the chief information officer of that group, worked in every division. So I wrote software for energy management companies, property management companies, did all that, then finally saw smart buildings. And then I thought, hey, wow, this is just destiny because I'm able to now take construction, design, you know, energy management, property management, take all these different pieces and pull them together now to change what it's like. And that was part of this strategy piece. So the first part of the strategy was, well, let me put a network so I can connect everything. The second part of this was, let me build open software so now that I can change the experience of living there and operating the community. So now that I have the network, I can connect things. So I can connect HVAC systems, security cameras, I can provide Wi-Fi, I can connect package delivery systems, automated license plate readers. I could attach defibrillators. In the home, I could attach health-based sensors. So you can imagine, I can attach anything I want to this thing. That's the starting point. This is that network piece. Now, when we layer onto it software, we now have an interface that the homeowner goes to on their phone. We have an interface that the manager of the community goes to. That's that next critical element, because now I can actually communicate and surface things together. And then layer onto that a bunch of tools like ticket management and announcements and different systems like that. Now we've created the infrastructure to create solutions. So what do the solutions look like? Well, the starting point is someone calls from a lobby. Obviously, I can answer it on my phone. I can change my energy from wherever I am using my phone. I can book a party room. Um, and then we, we started to build out. So beyond those base functions, we started to build out a whole bunch of service models that really will transform what it's like. And the idea being that the more things you bring into a common app, the greater the use of that app. So if I'm using this app to change my temperature, if I'm using this app to grant someone access to the community, if this app is my sweet alarm and telling me my alarm went off and giving me remote monitoring, well, now I've got an, I've got an interface that people are actually looking at. So now what do we do? Well, what we're already doing it is, energy consumption. We can show you your energy consumption using the same app. 
And this is where the stuff started to get fun. So we built out all that base stuff and we're doing smoke detection, leak detection, and all those things to mitigate risk. And I'll speak about some of those services in a minute. Um, but now we're able to bring in other things and we're already doing this in a lot of communities. Almost every single community we do now has integrated car share. I'm in my app. I want a car. I book it. I pay on a consumption basis. Wow. And there's a revenue model back to the community where rent is paid on that spot. But you imagine now what that's like living in a community. You maybe can not have one car and it's a private car share to that building. And then the spinoff benefit is when you're doing the development, the city will allow you to reduce your parking requirement four to one for those spots in most jurisdictions. So now what we've done is use the platform to enable something that creates, you know, shared mobility. And we're doing e-bikes and scooters and that type of thing at the same time. Uh, other services we're doing now are car, um, uh, shared car charging. So car charging is in the future. There's not enough spots. Right. Well, now we can turn car charging into an amenity. I need to charge my car. I book it on my app. I pay for it on a consumption basis. There's now a way to pay for that service. The residents get the use of the amenity, but there's a business model to support it. We've gone to the other extent where now what we've done is, and this all comes from listening. So we were listening, another client we're working with, we have nine buildings, 2,500 units on a common parking deck, and there's all this retail. And our client came to me and he said, what am I going to do with this retail? Who's going to come here? And it just so happens that in my network, there's a guy who owns the, the company that creates the software for shopping malls. So the Eaton Center shopping mall software is what his business does. As one example, he's in hundreds of malls. But we just embedded his software inside our app. So now I can push in my app market. It will show me the stores that are in my community. The stores in the community now have self-management portals where they can control the content and they can engage in dialogue with the resident. So these are like really disruptive, cool things, because now what we could do if we wanted to, we could even create virtual stores and people could pay a virtual leasing fee to be part of that community. Wow. So that's part of that disruption. But it's just convenience. Like you can imagine living in a building where I have a car available to me. Someone visits me. I can punch in their license plate and they can park automatically. A package comes in. I get a notice on my phone and I can go claim it. I can now interact with the retail at the bottom of the building and receive goods and 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 get daily specials from them. And then the next part of that is is the health part of it. So we already did that. So another developer came to us and said, we're building this community. It's in Woodbridge. I could see people wanting to put their parents here because that way they could be close to them, but don't have to live in their homes. And they said, what can you do? And we thought, hey, that's fantastic. We I got a great idea. So what we did is we took our base app. We took out anything that would invade privacy. So you're not going to be able to get a lobby call. You will not get a notice or a personal message. You can't see visitor logs of people who visited the suite. But what you will get is if their smoke detector goes off, if there's a leak in the suite, if their suite security alarm goes off, you'll get a notice on your phone. You can see cameras at the bottom of their building and you'll see general announcements. And we call it family care. Now, family care is not just senior care. You imagine your daughter moved to her first condo. Isn't it great to be able to stay in touch, not invade her privacy, but if something goes wrong, you're going to be notified. That's the message in this. It's like, how do we create things that are actually going to cause, you know, positive outcomes and solve issues? I'll go through one more. I mean, I could keep going because it's obviously the area where, for me, what's amazing is, like I said, I've been at it 20 years, 15 years since the first smart community was launched. 
we've now built so much infrastructure and tool sets that we keep spinning out more and more new things to address these problems. And it's become fun. So I'll give, let me give two more. One was one of our clients was selling to someone who was hearing impaired. And they said, smart one, what can you do? And all we did was, because our system is an open platform, we can connect different devices to the network. We connected Philips Hue light bulbs. If someone calls from the lobby, their suite goes green. Wow. Their front door goes blue. And if alarm goes off, it goes red. That wasn't some big development. We already had everything to do that. We just created a scene called hearing impaired and it worked. Right. So this is, again, where it's like you name the problem and you can solve it. And the last place I'm going to go to, because I know I'm going to keep keep running through, is that's the sustainability piece, the security piece we already get. People now can self-monitor their security. They can see cameras within their building. They can now dialogue. So we're doing these things to create a safer community. Obviously, touchless entry and all that stuff and control of different things. We can do all those things. Sustainability has been interesting because what we've done was, uh, what we do with our system is we actually connect directly to the HVAC unit in a building. And what we do is we create established two-way communication with it. So when we did the first building, I was questioning, well, why did we do this? And then later it became apparent. We met with an HVAC company, go, this is fantastic. Nobody's done this. You speak two ways to our unit. If there's something wrong, we can tell you. So now in one of the buildings, the first iteration of that was what the drain pan's full. It actually tells you. It tells the manager of the community the drain pan's full. If there's a problem with the unit, it tells you and tells the manager of the community. So we showed that, then another supplier looked at it and goes, that's fantastic, can you go one step further? And what they're now doing is passing us register values from a heat pump through our wall pad. So we're now able to see things like inlet temperature, seven levels of diagnostics. And what we're doing now is we're receiving the data from the heat pump, we're passing it through something called an API, a company is reading our data and they're now using that data to optimize the energy performance of a building. So you're starting to see that we could do things you could never do before. Mm-hmm. Like if you think from a heat pump system, it's valuable enough to know how many are heat and how many are cool. What's the set points and what's the ambient temperatures? Well, now we've gone a step further. We can actually see the diagnostics of the whole system running and that optimization. So, And that's the place. There's two places where you spend a lot of money. One is on energy. The second is on staffing. Um, so those are the two pieces we can start to look at. So when we start to deploy this solution with large REITs, what do they like? Well, they got included leak and smoke detection to mitigate risks. They got higher levels of access control. They control door entry. They can have logs of door entry. They create an environment where people want to come and rent their units. And then that last part is we start to open up this whole world of services, additional revenue streams, but more than revenue streams, conveniences. You'd want to live there. None of the services are charged at stupid rates. They're there because if you don't have business models, things don't work. There's no such thing as free. There's no such thing as free Wi-Fi as much as people think there is. But we all know that as business people, there is no such thing as free. There's got to be good business models, but if they're reasonable, people like them. So that was a really long answer to your question, and I hope you stuck with me on it. Well, I stuck with you. You because I went through your website before you know before we started, and I st- and I got fascinated with every. In fact, the smallest thing, you know, the license plate thing. Um, I'm going to sneeze, which I warned everybody might happen. Um, hold on, Ted. Maybe not. Got to get it back on those antihistamines. 
Um, that, a simple thing that, that will make everyone's life easier is you've got a guest coming. They don't have to buzz and wait for, you know, if the, if the concierge isn't at his desk and they're waiting to go in, they got to wait till he comes back. Your system makes it so much effortlessly uh, for the average person. Then, then all the other things you went through. Um, I think as people look at how they live now, that I think is where it becomes the comparison, the foil. The building they're in now, what does it have to offer? And what are you doing with Smart One Solutions? And all of a sudden, the comparison's it's black and white. And, and um, I, I think the thing that I, and this relates to my own career as well, is, is what were the biggest challenges you had to overcome in the early years? The whole thing was a huge challenge, right? The whole thing was, is like, how do you shift an industry, right? And it came through, there's a lot of pieces in this that that's why you see bulk internet so prevalent in Toronto was a lot of it had to do with this because the principle of this thing was I need a network in a building. Well, if I put a network in a building and give everyone internet access. So, and actually really, that's what we've done as a company. We partner with large telecoms. They sell our solution, bundle it with internet. We sell a concept called smart community. So just like you have smart home and smart home monitoring, we have smart community. But when I go back to it, that it took 15 years, it took 15 years. Mm. And I talk, there's like certain pivotal moments in this thing. There was one part, and I hope I'm okay to swear in the, the podcast, because there was one moment was, you know, in all the years of pitching business cases, I never forget, because I'd be in front of four owners, five vice presidents, and I'd pitch a business case, and I'd get shot down. I'm going to save energy. I'm going to save concierge time. And I just kept getting bullshit. And the truth was, you can't prove it. It's innovation, never been done before. And this is a thing I think that people don't get, that there's, it doesn't mean you don't do business cases. There's places for business cases. But when you get to this edgy stuff, the business case doesn't work anymore, mm. right? Because no one's done it before. So how do you prove it? That's the point where you need that leap of faith. And I give a couple examples. The one is like, do you think that someone said, do we build a railway across Canada? Somebody do a business case and give me an ROI because we need to do it. And it's like, no, of course not. You know you need to do it, so you did it. Or I always give the example with Steve Jobs. You think when he made an iPad, he said, I know I'm going to build it. It's going to cost me $1,100. I'm going to sell it for $1,500. It isn't. It becomes a point of a leap of faith. So there's two stories in this that I always like to share. The one is at one point, so we were partnered with everyone. We were partnered with IBM Canada. Their CEO came and visited us. We were partnered with Cisco. So I never forget the one time we were partnered with Cisco. We had an executive dinner because this was like celebrate. We actually are going to do something together. And I remember going down to my car after this fancy dinner. And I thought to myself, I'm not even excited. And I go, why? I just don't understand. Why am I not even excited? And I think it's, I'm just exhausted, I thought to myself. And then I thought to myself, if I were to write a biz, Harvard Business Review article, on how to be successful on tackling something like this. Like, how do what what is the secret to tackling a disruptive innovation? And the thing that came to my mind was fucking persistence. The only way you're gonna make it is you don't give up. And that's the piece. If you, you just don't give up, if this doesn't work, you try something else. And if that doesn't work, you try something else. Things don't work when you give up. And then the ultimate part is like, how do you finally get there? And I never forget, I went into one of these meetings I get shot down. I had like nine arrows in my back walking out of the meeting. And I go, I give up. I don't want to do this anymore. And my boss at the time said, you can't give up because what you're doing is right. You got to keep going. And then I ended up reading a book called Made to Stick. And I realized, okay, here's what's wrong. I'm going in front of nine people. People love taking shots at you because it makes them look smarter. It makes you look dumber. 
right? So they just love it. You go in there, you get torn apart. So I got torn apart in this meeting. Well, the next meeting I changed the strategy. I went in and I said, I've been pitching this for like, at that point might've been eight, ten, eight or 10 years. Like I've been pitching this for eight years. You've never told me to stop. Does anybody in this room not believe this is gonna happen? Does anybody not believe that technology is going in buildings? You really think they're gonna become dumber? Does anybody believe that? Anybody agree with that statement? And not one person put up their hand. You guys all agree that this is gonna happen. You know that this is the right path. Then where do we start? Because we'll figure it out. And that was the reality. And that was kind of the turning point to say, let's figure it out. Let's do what we need to do. And that's what really unraveled and pushed us. But the biggest lessons and the biggest things is just the resistance to change. It's like it, you know, like I go into a meeting and someone goes, but what about security? And I'm like, well, what about security? We're addressing it. We're doing penetration test audits. We're following best practices. And you just know these people are looking for an excuse to not change. And as Canadians, we can't do that anymore. We actually need this stuff in our buildings, right? We need it for sustainability. We need it for the future of care. We need this stuff in our buildings. Um, and the biggest challenge is just that resistance to change and to shift an industry. Like you imagine, we're changing designs of buildings. Think about how hard that is. It's getting the design consultants on board, getting the owners on board, and really pushing and driving a whole sector. Well, I mean, I'm listening to you remembering the early years of our company when everybody said it'll never work and they won't be around. And I, I got a feeling you, you lived through a lot longer than us where you were hearing it isn't going to work. Who else can we see today? <laughs> that sort of a thing. But it, listen, persistence is everything. A lot of, I, I do a lot of reading or listening about business and a lot of people just give up too early. I mean, that's basically where they fail. They just give up because it's hard. And, and you have to do things that other people aren't going to do to succeed. And you did them. You kept going. So, but, but it actually ties into my next question, which is, um, how has the business changed since when you first started, when you first began doing this? It's gotten easier. Like the hardest part was when our first pilot community was going and then I left Tridel and I went and became an entrepreneur to go from a CIO to being an entrepreneur. It was a big mental shift, right? It was hard. All of a sudden you're not making money. You're spending whatever money you have. You're by yourself. I was doing everything. I was installing sales offices, doing the engineering work on businesses, on the, you know, on buildings. I was building software, doing everything. And it was just, it was really hard. Then as we started to grow and get more people, what's great about it is the fact that you start to have people like the, the goal in entrepreneurship is to not make it dependent on you. Mm -hmm. And that was the biggest shift was they actually starting to get build up slowly, get resources and, and continue to build the team. And then the more the team grew, the more powerful it became and the more fun it became and all of those pieces. And obviously then you start to get competitors and they're good. You need them. And the reason we need competitors in this space is like, I still say our biggest competitors actually have apathy. The mm. biggest competitors, people still not doing this. Mm -hmm. So I actually don't mind that another company gets a building because I know later on they're going to see our building and know that there's just no comparison. I know I'm being a bit smug, but irrespective of that, the fact that a building went smart to me, at least it's going to keep going smart. And really, again, it goes back to the point that as a society, this is something that's needed because we need to get better with energy efficiency. We need to get better with security. We need to get better with long-term care. And we can only do that if we start to do these things that we're talking about. 
So, so this leads to what I, what I find. I, I kind of relate to that because when I started, I had been a real estate agent for 20 years, which meant I never went to the same place every day. You'd go to a client's house, you'd go to another client, you'd prospects, this and that. And we started this business and I had to go to the same place every day. I thought this was crazy. So you do have to make some adjustments. Um, so when you became president, two questions I have for you. Um, what was the most challenging and what was the most satisfying part of that? The most challenging part is like the the best way, and I don't want to kind of go off in a, in a tangent that turns people off, but it almost became a spiritual journey, right? That when you're not making money anymore and you're moving along, you start to develop faith that what I need will show up mm-hmm. and you lose attachment to greed and you don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. And it takes a little bit of time for that to unravel. But once you unravel, that's very freeing because now you just work and you do and you trust what's happening to you. Right. So that would uh, that would be one piece. Um, and I think that was the biggest shift. Like I just did so much reading and I'm and I'm lucky because in my whole career, I, I, I always contributed a lot. So I gave a lot back to different people. And I have quite a few people that have coached me, like really good coaches, people who've just helped me for no reason other I always say when you go down the path of this, and I think you're gonna, you'll find this amusing. I always say there's the angels and assholes, right? <laughs> you have the angels that come and help you, and you don't know why, and they help you for no reason other than they want to help you. And then you get the assholes, which are the people you didn't ever expect would be trying to stab you in the back, but they are. Um, but you need those people too, because it's like you're like a piece of steel, and the more people hammer you, the harder you get, right? Um, the biggest thing in all of this is, and, and to me, this just at the first, the, this is the first point in my life where I realized that I'm doing what I was supposed to do as a person on this planet. That's what I feel. That's the most powerful feeling of all of this. Everything in like, and this one guy who coaches me would say, everything that's happened in your life has prepared you for this moment. And I think that was the most powerful thing is to kind of feel like I knew I wasn't in the right spot. I knew I wasn't in the right spot, but I'd make excuses that say, why was I in the right spot to finally get to this point where I'm in the right spot now? Well, I think you, you know you, you you've had a um, a gift given to you that you you're you're in a place that that you know many people never get to, and and I see you're enjoying it. So I want to go back to what you're saying about mentors. What was the greatest advice anyone's ever given you? Different pieces. I mean, I'm gonna go. I'll go from basic to kind of more difficult, more challenging. The basic one at the beginning was build a network, build a network, build a brand. So think about who you want to be seen as what when someone talks about Ted Malucci, what do they think about and build that and be that and then build networks. People always said build as strong a network as possible. That absolutely made a a huge difference for me that I've, I've known so many people. And the other part is like anytime anybody asks you for something, just do it. Like just give. Give and give and give. Don't worry about the equation that doesn't work. Trust me that if all you ever do is give and help, you'll just be amazed at how everything just works in your life. Everything just works if you just give. Um, and maybe you did you give to this person and they screw you, but someone else is going to do something nice for you. But just creating that positive karma creates that integrity, builds that character. It just creates a lot of good. Like that's just how stuff happens. Nothing happens because of you, right? Like it doesn't. We want to think that, but it doesn't. These companies aren't their leaders. These companies are the collective 
group of people of what assembles and that capability. We always say like in our company, we're not the golden egg, we're the goose. We can keep producing. So you think we bought, did this is really cool. You wait and see the next day because it's going to even be better because that's where they build that capability. There's a lot of other pieces. The other one that always comes to mind is one that's, there's a guy's name is John King. He wrote a book called Tribal Leadership. And he's like a coach and mentor to me. I got to know him. He lives actually in Mexico now. He's actually come in and volunteered and he's been doing sessions with the team. So really good guy. And, and just, you know, the power of culture in an organization, which could be a whole topic. But they always talk about something called the distinction of responsibility. And I think this is a key thing for people to get that when something goes wrong, it's not because it's something else or somebody else's fault. Anytime something goes wrong, look inward as to what did I do to create the situation for this to happen? Because as soon as you blame somebody outside of your control, you've just made, rendered yourself useless and you'll never improve. But when you accept responsibility for everything that's happening to you, you now become different. You now think, what could I have done differently to make this work versus this didn't work because so-and-so and now you've never reacted. Um, there's a whole lot to this. It's like, I think everybody's, and I think the other piece with this is everybody, you know, study, learn, choose the path, read what works for you, but just be committed to this constant learning and this constant, constant working on yourself, I think is what it's got to be. And so much of what drives everything and a lot of people don't get it's, it's just psychology. I give the example of Facebook. You know, look at how many people in the world log into Facebook every day. Why? You can't get your kids to clean their room. You can get half the planet to go into an app. Why? They hit psychological triggers, right? And this is where there's so much that can be learned. It's just understanding human behavior, understanding the software that's programmed into us as human beings. Listen, this we could go on forever because I love this stuff. But I know how busy you are, so I'm going to cut to two other things, okay? Because we, we know how busy you are. So number one is what's the best um, guidance you'd give to someone who wants to be an entrepreneur? The best guidance is, and, and this would be speaking from experience, when in my career, I always was trying to be an entrepreneur. So when I wrote software in my previous job, I was going to the owners, we got to sell this, let's sell this software. Um, so many people are in businesses, I want to start my own business, I'm going to start my own thing. And I think, that, let me give that most, the most powerful advice there would be, um, and um, Napoleon Hill says, that if you want to take the island, you burn the boats. So right. why, did, why could smart one work for me? Because I burnt my boat. I backed myself into a corner. The only way I was going to survive was I had to make it work, right? So if you want to make a business work and you want to be an entrepreneur, it's not going to happen in a half-assed way. Don't come and say to me, oh, I got five businesses and they're all amazing. You want to make it work, back yourself into a corner and fight. And when you do that, I would, like, I laugh when someone says so-and-so, oh, they got so much money. I laugh. I don't give a crap. I've stood in front of the CEOs of large telecoms and said, you want to compete with me? Go ahead. You will never win. You can't spend your way to beat us because we fight with passion. Your guys, they'll get pissed off. They'll get bored. They'll leave. We don't leave. We keep fighting. And I think that's the piece that people don't get. And the other part, I think, with entrepreneurship, it's not as glorious as what you think it is. It is freaking painful. It's hard, right? Like it takes years to get to like where you are now that you're able to do this. You're loving it now, but God, I know you work so hard and went through so much pain to get to that point. And that's the part a lot of people don't get. And it's, and the other part, it's not about money. 
don't go in and think you're going to make a lot of money. That's not what it is about. Go and do something that you're passionate about. Build it. Money will come. You know, it's funny. I also uh, uh, read Napoleon Hill beginning of my career. And, <laughs> and, you know, the greater good you give to people, to, to the, the greatest number of people, the greater success you'll have, right? Like you're, you're providing all of this good, not only to the developers, but to the, to the people in the buildings, um, to the communities, like that you're providing lots of good. And that's what's, that's what's coming back to you because it, it's, it's not selfish. I mean, you know, like I see you're passionate about what you do and, and like me, you're having fun doing it, you know? Uh, you know, the point of having been an entrepreneur myself, what you've done, once you've once you've reached the point where you hit whatever you define as success, you forget all the other crap because it's the pleasure of having got there, right? And I can see, listen, I understand everything you've said about people saying, no, arrow's in your back, you know, taking that leap of faith. That's the hardest part, Ted. When you leave something that's secure for something that's not, you got to have real faith, right? Because you got to, like you said, there's no option B, there's no option A. It's you got to do it. And when that's yeah. the when that's the focus, you do it. You find a way. And I think I think you've been such a great inspiration in the way that you talk about your business. I was just interested in in finding out about technology, but I I, I think the lessons for people listening to you is about running a business and a successful business in a world where competition never ends. Uh, where where um, you know if you're the head of the company. There's no place to pass the buck. <laughs> you, know, you can't, yeah. you get, and taking responsibilities, I believe that it's freeing. When you, when you say, when something screws up, and instead of saying, hey, how come you did that? Instead, you say, what did I do that made that happen? Number one, the, the, the person on the other end isn't feeling attacked. And number two, you learn from it. So I, I'm really enjoying the non-technical side of this. Um, I have one more question. And, uh, and I guess it kind of ties into everything we've said. So this is it. What's the greatest lessons you've learned for this entire experience um, of what you've done with your life? Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say that because I, I think, you know, it's a hard one to answer in some ways and in other ways it's not. But I think the, the greatest lesson in this is find out what you were wired for and what you were supposed to do. And I know that now, and I've done that with my daughters. What do you love to do? What was your passion? What were you put here for? How do you align to it? Don't worry about titles. Don't worry about, oh, I'm going to make 5,000 bucks more here or there. What were you wired to do? What are you good at? What, why are you on this planet? Mm -hmm. And I think when you align to that, all of a sudden everything works. Yeah. Right? As soon as you lose the ego, as soon as you lose this attachment to clinging to objects and clinging to titles and to all this crap, and you truly get down to what makes you tick and why are you here? I'm a builder. I know it. I love building. Anybody who knows me in my neighborhood here knows I'm a builder. I love writing software and I love contributing. I'm just doing what I was supposed to do. But the thing is, is we know what we're supposed to do. It's sitting in front of us our entire life, but we don't see it. And now when I've gotten older, I can see that, hey, wow, when I was six years old, I used my dad's skill saw. He didn't even know about it. He used to have to hide nails because all I kept doing was trying to build things. It was actually pretty obvious what I was, <laughs> right? But I didn't see it. I leave tried. I thank God I got hired and put into Tridel. 
Yeah. And it's also weird. The way this whole journey has worked is like the whole thing when we said faith and a couple pieces in this, I want people not to get taken aside with. When we're saying faith, we're not saying religious faith. You can look at it religious faith that you want, but it's faith is belief, belief in the path that unfolds before you and accepting it. Right. I think that's what this is about. And this whole piece about contribution, this isn't myth, mysticism and karma. If you do something good for someone, they reciprocate. This isn't mysticism. This is just common sense. Do as many good things as you can. It will come back and understand who you are and follow your path. Find out what your path is. It's right in front of you. And it's in, it's in everything that you do. And, and don't get. And that's what I think society does a bad job of. It tries to sensationalize or attract us to things that we're not supposed to be or do. And then in the end, we're just not happy because we didn't fulfill who we are. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it on that because that's that's the advice that, you know, people who think about wanting to be their own boss, be an entrepreneur, have to understand it's not glamorous, but it is rewarding. I think that's really what you're saying. It's rewarding if it's who you are. So on that note, number one, really appreciate the non-technical part of today. And number two, I'd love to have you back and talk more about SMART. Um, you know, what you're doing and, uh, and where the industry's going. So that's like an open invitation to come back in the future, Ted. We'd love to have you again. Thank you. And I'd love to like the one piece we didn't touch on and maybe we're doing a different session is where we have funded universities across Canada yeah. and they're using machine learning and artificial intelligence with our platform to create next generation assisted care. Can't say more than that. We've used up the time, but <laughs> that's another piece that I'm really, really excited about. And it's, it's, um, we had the four universities, the fifth one's joining more and more people. We're creating a groundswell around this topic. So very cool stuff. We need technology to help with an aging population. So why don't we use that as the topic for the next time we get together? Absolutely. Thank you for Thank inviting you. me. I love, as you can tell, I love talking about it. I love spreading the word. You know what? So, I love, um, I love I, hopefully the... people got something out of this. I think they will. And, I, and as I said, I was looking forward to learning technology. I learned more about how to run a business and how to, how to, you know, how to grow a business, to, to build a business and, and how to enjoy doing it from you. So thanks for that. And uh, we'll see you again. We'll have you back. We'll talk about the other topic. Okay. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Ted. Real Bye. pleasure. Thank you. We'd like to thank Ted Malucci, president of Smart One Solutions, and you for joining us today. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please like, comment, and subscribe on your favorite podcast network or on our YouTube channel. And to reach us, you can reach us either by email, info at rewithhd.com, or on our website, rewithhd.com. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.